wreck yourself. Okay, I heard it's a song. I just saw it on a movie and thought, I got to remember that. I got I to gotta use that as a, a message sometime. So it's, it's an old adage, and a lot of you probably heard it before. It's, but it's full of wisdom. And what I wanted to do today, in fact, if you have an outline, uh, I think they're in the programs. If not, is there, look inside your program. Is there an outline for that with that? No? Yes? Yes. Okay, cool. Pull it out. We're going to look at the life of Judas, and we're going to break it down into three parts. How Judas wrecked himself, and then how do you check yourself so you don't wreck yourself? And then there's a third point we'll get to. So if you have a Bible with you, open it to Acts chapter 1, and it's page 756. I'm going to read. This is probably a passage you've never, ever heard anybody preach on. Because it's one of those passages, it's not very famous, but it's got lots of info in it. But we're going to look at the, the main person in it, believe it or not, it's, it's about this person who's not even there, Judas. Now, if you don't know who Judas is, except you've just heard that name, that he's like a bad dude, this might inform your understanding of who Judas was and maybe make him a little bit more real and, and three-dimensional. So in verse 12 it says, then they, which is the disciples, returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were praying. Oh, I'm sorry. When they arrived, they went up to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Obviously not the Judas that they're going to talk about in a moment. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbered about 120. So, stop for a second. Imagine, thousands of people have followed Jesus. He's healed more people than you can shake a stick at. He's raised people from the dead. He's fed tens of thousands of people. After all that, there's 120 people. That's like, that might, some people might look at that and be tempted to be really disappointed. Like, after all that, that's all that's left? Maybe you never even knew that little factoid. But it didn't, didn't matter. But it, it, it's kind of surprising that that's all that there was. So Peter stood up and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field, and there he fell headlong. His body burst open, and all of his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it's written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who've been with us this whole time. The Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism till the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Bersabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. And when they prayed, oh, excuse me, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. 
Show us which of these two you've chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, Judas was one of the 12 apostles. Jesus went up on a mountain and prayed and said, God, who do you want me to pick of these hundreds of people who are following me to be the the founding leaders of this new movement? And, And he was starting... A new movement. He was, he was renewing Israel. Israel had 12 patriarchs. Jesus chose 12 apostles. This was something very uh, specific and, and full of meaning and importance. And he was saying, listen, I'm still gathering a new people into the world to represent me. And he was going to call them his church. That's what he, he did in, in Matthew. But all these apostles had significant conversion experiences. We don't know what Judas's was, but if you the, the few apostles that we saw, these were people who had these dramatic encounters with Jesus, and they left everything to follow him. Now, not everybody else was called to leave everything like this, like they were, but these were these were men and women who were called to trust Jesus in an, to an extraordinary degree and to become. Uh, the, the first church planters of the movement. Now, they, none of them, hardly, well, excuse me, only a handful of them wrote scripture. So their job was not to write the Bible. Their job was to proclaim that Jesus is Lord, to proclaim his kingdom, and to plant churches, and, and those churches to plant churches, and those churches to plant churches, and that's what they did. Now, Judas held a great place of responsibility among the apostles. He was the person who had their money, so as people supported these apostles and Jesus, as he traveled around, they gave the money to Judas, and then Judas paid the bills, and they used it to give uh, money to the poor. But it says that Jesus, uh, uh, excuse me, that Judas began to steal from this bag, and eventually he betrayed Jesus to the Jewish leaders thirty silver coins. And so later on, after all that played out and Jesus was arrested and he was betrayed and they were, uh, they were condemning him to death, Judas became deeply, deeply remorseful over what happened, but he just couldn't make amends. And, he, and the, the burden of what he had done was so great, he went out and he hung himself. And that's sort of what you hear described by Peter. At some point, you know, hanging, no one wanted to touch him. And his, historians have said and scholars have said that eventually the, the rope he hung himself went broke and he fell. He, he's swollen and gross and that's, that's the scene that you read. And the Jewish leaders saw this and they saw a person who was cursed by God, who was a betrayer. Even though they had abetted his work, they bought that land and they made it a potter's graveyard and they buried him there. And so it was like a place of desolation. So he committed suicide, and you look at how he started. He was one of the apostles. He was doing miracles and signs and wonders. He was spending intimate face-to-face time with Jesus. How could someone go that wrong? Have you ever pondered that? Or do you just think that Judas, he was a bad apple from the beginning? He wasn't. Peter said it. He In verse 17, he was one of our number and shared in this ministry. And that word shared means this this deep communion and and connection and fellowship. He was one of them. He didn't start out 
a traitor. So he wrecked himself when he began to substitute love of money for Jesus. And Jesus warned. He said, you can't love money and God. You can't. Your loyalty will, at some point, you can try to straddle that fence, but at some point you're going you're gonna to go one way or the other because your heart can't remain divided. <clears throat> and so the, the truth is we rarely, like Judas, you know, I've, like Judas is, is a, was a real-life person like you and I, and we don't wreck ourselves suddenly. When our lives fall apart, it doesn't just one day happen. It's this slow and steady drip, drip, drip of choices and momentum that just takes us into the ditch. And Judas, we don't know his whole story, but just from experience, I can see, I've seen his story and the parts that we have missed. And I'll tell you, I put it on that little outline there. Here's what almost always starts the ball rolling is. We experience some kind of hardship, some kind of disappointment. We don't think God's given us what we need. And we begin to trust other things besides Jesus for what we need. It's just, it's, it's what happens. We think we're trusting Jesus, and it isn't getting us what we need. And so we go, well, I'll just trust this for a little while, because my need is so great, I can't live without this desire being satisfied, so I'll go for this. And then what happens is, we begin to live a double life because that thing becomes more and more important to us. And again, there's that straddle. It doesn't have to be money. For Judas, it was money. But there's this, this thing starts happening. It's like trying to ride two horses. You know, As long as they have something holding them together, it's okay. But when the two horses start going like that, you know, whoa, 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 you know, you, it gets real awkward real fast. And that's what starts happening. And then we begin to go through the motions spiritually. And that becomes normal to us. And we just act and play act instead of living from our heart. And then we eventually wreck ourselves. That's what happened to Judas. We wreck ourselves and we begin to sell ourselves to substitutes for Jesus. Because that's what it really is. That sounds like strong language. But what Judas was doing was he was selling himself to money. Because he, he probably had a need for security. You know how we talk about core longings? He probably had a need for security. Who knows what his story was? But oftentimes people have had experiences in life where they haven't had much and they've lived in, in, in want. They need to have tangible things to give them security. It's hard to trust God to meet your need. And J Judas was thrown into this group of people who they had to live by faith in a very radical way. And at a certain point, he didn't make that choice to keep trusting Jesus, he wanted more than that. He wanted to put his trust in money. And so that's just, that's the way that we begin to wreck ourselves. But like I said, it, it starts happening really slowly. So how do we avoid kind of ending up in that ditch with Judas? I don't mean, I don't know too many people have ended up with as tragic an end as Judas. But I've seen lots over the years, lots of people who, whose lives are, end up in the ditch Financially, spiritually, relationally, professionally. I mean, in, in every sense of the word. Because they didn't recognize these little choices that they were making to trust something else but Jesus. So here's how you check yourself. I want you to go, we're in, we're in Acts. Go back a few pages to John chapter 12. And we're going to hone in just for a second on 
part of Judas's story. So this is how you check yourself. I want you to see something about Judas that maybe you, you've heard before, but you haven't kind of connected these two things together. In John 12, verse 1, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, there's Martha, serving away, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. So this is probably, this is a pretty amazing moment, right? This is a guy who was dead for days. He had his funeral. Jesus goes and has this, does this public miracle. And at this point, this is what sealed Jesus' fate, if you read the chapter before. Because this was not like uh, any other healing he had done up to this point. So it says that uh, Mary... Another one of the many Marys that followed him. She took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. So he recognized, wow, this looks like a waste, right? He uh, Jesus, this is, this is wrong, what this woman did. It was, she was an easy target because it was a woman. In that culture, women you know, were relegated to second-class status. Judas just shamed her publicly. But what John says editorially, he says, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor. He said it because he was a thief, as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. We referred to that earlier. Jesus says to Judas, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You'll always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, this says something about Judas. It says we find that Judas, there's four things that we can learn about Judas from this little story. Number one, he was living a double life. He, he looked like the guy, the apostle, standing up for the poor, right? Straight talk himself, correcting this woman who's wasting something that could be really useful. Second, he was quick to judge. Third, he grumbled. If you don't know what grumbling is, I'll explain it in a minute. Fourth, we're, when, when you're starting to go down that path, you're easily offended by other people. He was, he was offended. Judas had put his trust in money as a way to find security in Jesus. And that, when certain things begin to take root in your heart, they begin to come out. You can't hide them anymore. And Jesus was the only one that saw through this at this point. But these were symptoms of, Jesus, uh, of what was going on inside Judas' heart. Okay? The religious people tend to focus on the exterior. Jesus was constantly correcting that and saying, don't look at the exterior. God doesn't look at the exterior. Now, I don't mean God never looks at the exterior. That's not what Jesus meant. What he meant was God looks first and foremost at your heart. Because you can be pleasing to God in your heart and be doing something outwardly that looks fumbling and foolish and, you know, not, not cool. This woman was doing that. How many other of the apostles and people there thought, wow, what on earth? That's not what you do with that. That's, that perfume is really expensive. And pouring it all out, a whole year's worth of wages, that's, that's wasteful. So these are symptoms. I want to I suggest to you that these are symptoms of losing our first love for Jesus. This is what had happened to Judas. He had lost his first love for Jesus. And 
when we wreck ourselves, it's because Jesus is the center of our lives. And we said a couple of weeks ago, uh, it's not true that Christians are immune from hardship. But our, our, our lives are not wrecked by hardship. Our lives get wrecked by how we respond to the hardship. You understand that? How we respond to disappointment. Our circumstances never have the final word. I mean, if, if you want to know one of the mega narratives of the Bible, it works like this. Things get messed up. Everybody is completely overwhelmed by problems, but God. Over and over and over, that's the narrative of the Bible. Things are messed up, but God, and then God has the final word. Well, in Judas's life, the struggle that he had was he didn't want to trust God's final word. He wanted to control things. And here's some of the symptoms. that and The first four I've already repeated, but added two more. And these are symptoms. If you want to check yourself, and this is a, I'm going to ask you to be courageous here, okay? Demonstrate just between your heart and God the courage to let me ask you these questions and allow your heart not to react. Allow your heart not to defend yourself. Allow your heart not to, to excuse anything that might come up. The first question is, are you living a double life and a part of you that no one sees is engaged in, in small or maybe even big compromise. Because that's what was going on with Judas. And Jesus was the most gracious, merciful person you could ever be around. Judas could have owned his stuff to Jesus. And Jesus would have forgiven him and restored him. And he probably would have had somebody else handle the money for a while. But he wouldn't have been shamed. He wouldn't have been rejected. But that double life goes on. And the longer you live it, the harder it is to disclose that double life. Second, are you quick, and, and don't take that word quick too far, but do you tend to judge other people? Do you tend to judge other people? I don't mean do you tend to hold people accountable, because we're supposed to hold people accountable. I don't mean that it's wrong to say this is wrong and that's right. We're supposed to make moral distinctions, but judgment is different. Judgment is putting yourself in, your, in the position of the judge. That you are the standard by which everything is judged. There's a difference. And I'm not going to belabor that. We've talked about it plenty of times. But if you judge other people on a regular basis, it's not a good sign. Because a lot of times when we feel guilty about stuff in our life, we project that out onto other people. And we're hard on them because we're letting ourselves off the hook. Someone's going to pay. And if we won't hold ourselves accountable, we'll hold other people accountable. Third do you find yourself grumbling at circumstances that people was grumbling? In, in Hebrew, the word for murmur or to grumble, it literally sounds like this, murmur, murmur. And it, it's complaining. Now, you've heard me say many times, well, didn't you say, John, we can complain to God? That's right, you can. There's a right way to complain and there's a wrong way to complain. We're supposed to tell God the story of how hard it is in the hopes that we can unburden our heart before God with the, with the intent to trust him with what is hard. But grumbling is where we find fault with God and we charge him with not being good. And our murmur, 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 God's not good. God's, you know, it's hard for me right now. I'm disappointed. I'm let down. That's not going towards God. That's just, that's just charging God with something that's not true. And it's a dangerous place to be. It's dangerous. Do you find yourself easily offended by other people? And I put the word easily in there on purpose because everybody gets offended by people. 
but do you find yourself being really thin-skinned that in, in, in particular certain people bother you all the time? Let me suggest to you that may not be, the problem may not be with them. Who knew? Who knew? Consider that. When you're on this road to wrecking yourself, you're going to tend to think the problem is always the other person. Do you find yourself in avoidance mode? What's avoidance mode? Avoidance mode is something that all of us can slip into easily where we avoid facing things that we find uncomfortable. Do you find it easier not to be around other Christians? Like not to come to church, not to go to Bible study. Oh, you know, I'm kind of tired today. Is it is this some legalistic system we have set up at the vineyard? No. But let's be honest with ourselves that it's not uncommon for us to say, I don't want to go to my home group. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to serve because I just don't want to. There really isn't. I'm not like exhausted. Like my blood pressure is 250 over 180 and I really probably should be hospitalized. And so, you know, coming and helping Mel clean up the grounds, it's probably not wise for me to do that. Very few of us are in that kind of a place, but we rationalize when we're in this place of starting to go down that road of wrecking ourselves. We are not being honest with ourselves, and we avoid God. We avoid prayer. Like, do you ever sit down and say, I'm going to read my Bible and pray, and you pull your phone out? Oh, yeah, let me see what's on whatever. Let's see what's on. I haven't seen a good cat video today, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's been a week. How can you live without a cat video for a week? But that's, there's something about that that we have to take note of. And it's, it's a part of where our hearts start going if we don't challenge them. Last of all, it's going to hit close to home. Are you regularly overcommitted? Do you find yourself saying yes all the time? God doesn't want you to say yes to everybody and everything. doesn't. And the hard question to ask is why? Why? Am I saying yes? Is it because I need these people's approval? I need, in other words, to belong. Your core longing of belonging is in play. And instead of going to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need to gain my belonging from you, you get it from people. When you shouldn't get it from people. But if you don't stop and ask yourself why you're you're overcommitted, then you're going to miss something really big. And if you have a a problem with that, you may think, well, I don't have the problem with money that Judas had. But do you have a problem with needing the approval of people? Or needing to feel good because you're serving and helping people? That is, a, that is a substitute for what only Jesus can give you. Can you say no at work? And, and you know, I don't want to take this discussion really long, uh, long down that trail. But if you think you can't say no at work, you're wrong. You just have to be willing to pay the price when someone wants to be your God. And you say, no, you're not going to be my God. I have family. I have a life. Work is not going to be the center of my life. Everybody struggles with that at some point. So if we check ourselves and we find we've sold ourselves to substitutes for Jesus, what should we do? This is going to be really simple. On the, on the back of your outline, at the bottom, there's three little lines there. I want to tell you something that, that scientists have, have learned, but it's a picture that I want you to understand it, it, it has spiritual implications. Then we're going to use the cross here for, for, to close. Scientists have discovered that children are hardwired to look at people's faces. I mean, from when they're born, they've done experiments with all kinds of shapes. And children 
have no interest in any shape that doesn't look like an oval, a human face. They'll put shapes up and the, and the baby will look at a face. Here's what we're hardwired for. You're hardwired all through your life to look for someone who's looking for you. You're hardwired to look for someone who's looking for you. The story of the gospel is God is looking for us. But we've chosen to look everywhere else. And that's what wrecks our lives. And so in, in the book of Revelation, there was a church who got into this place that, that maybe you're in right now, or you see yourself going down that road. And Jesus said to these church, this church at Ephesus, he said three things to them, essentially. First, he said, remember, remember when when you had that experience where you looked for someone's face who was looking for yours, where you first experienced that God loves you and that Jesus saved you, and you experienced that, that forgiveness and that first love moment. I'm going to ask you in a second to remember that, but I want you to think about that now. Second, he said, remember that first love, what it was like, and, and implying compare it to where your heart's at now. And then he said, repent to them. He said, repent. And that word, it, it, it means something, okay? It means that we need to name and we need to renounce what we're substituting for. It may just be one thing in your life now, maybe several things, but you're substituting something for Jesus. If, you're, if you've checked yourself and you realize you're on the road that Jesus was on to wreck yourself. And it may not be as dramatic. You, you haven't gone that far down the road where you're stealing money from the church or you're doing some horrible, immoral thing. But you're starting to see your heart get divided. And you're avoiding and you're overcommitting and you're judging and you're grumbling. To one degree or another, these things are at work in your heart. Ask Jesus. If, if you don't know where to start, I'm going to give you a second to pray. Ask Jesus. Jesus, where is my heart off? What is it? That is my substitute. And then we're going to pray just a simple prayer together. And then what I want you to do is I want you to rip that little outline in half. And I want you to write on that outline in those spaces, one or two or three, if there's more, of the idols of your heart, whatever they are. And after we pray, I want you to fold it. And I want you to walk up here. And I want you to put it on the nails. Take the piece of paper. Here, I'll show you. Like you, you, you take a piece, tear it off. You write on it. And you go like this, put it there. And what you're saying is, Jesus, you died because I was giving myself to something that was even good, but it, it, it wasn't you. And I want to turn away from that, and I want to return to you. I want my heart to be given to you. Because that face that you've looked for your whole life, you made a mistake, and you, you've looked at something that's not a face. It's not the face of Jesus, something else. And this is where you see his face. But you have to recognize that you betrayed him, like Judas. You chose money. You chose pleasure. You chose what you want. You be your own boss. Whatever it is. But when we, after we pray this little prayer together, I want you to do that. And then we're going to, before we close, Peter said, if we repent, the times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. That he will come by his spirit and begin to refresh our hearts. And return that, that sense of first love, like, like David in the Old Testament said, uh, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. And Jesus says, if you'll turn your face and look for my face, look away from those things, you look for my face, 
I will give you joy. I will begin to renew your first love. And it strengthens you, it refreshes you, it changes you. So, just close your eyes for a minute, just on your own, the quiet of your heart, just for one moment. Lord, what is it that I'm substituting for you? Just ask him. And then if you haven't already, write it on that piece of paper once he's spoken to you. The first thing that comes to your mind, write it on there. It's like the SAT, multiple choice, first one that comes up. Then fold it in half. I want you to stand with me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a promise to you from the, the first letter of John. He says this, God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, which is what I'm inviting you to do, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So I'm going to repeat a phrase, a, a prayer of confession. And I just want you to say it out loud with me, okay? Most holy and merciful Father, we confess to you and to one another that we've sinned against you by what we have done and by what we have left undone. And by making idols out of your good gifts, we have not loved you with our whole heart and our whole mind and our whole strength. We have not fully loved our neighbor as ourselves. You alone know how often we've grieved you by wasting your gifts, by wandering from your ways. So forgive us, most merciful Father, and free us from our sin and renew us in the grace and strength of your Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. Now go ahead and just, if, if anybody that wants to, just put, put those up there. So here's the Lord's promise. Again, when we hear His invitation, when He looks towards us and we recognize we're looking for a face, we're looking for someone who's looking for us, that's a picture of who Jesus is and the person of the Holy Spirit. He wants to come and give us an experience of the countenance of love and joy that Jesus has for each of us. And I know when you recognize that you've sinned, like you have and you're acknowledging it here, to varying degrees, this stuff in your life has this power in you. You know what I mean? It's like it, uh, it, it's, it's inertia. Inertia is when an object is in motion. It tends to stay in motion. And so right now you're saying, I have been giving my heart to this idol or idols, we tend to keep going in that direction, no matter what we say. Putting this up here is a step towards that changing. But it's a matter of coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I need the power of your Holy Spirit in my life for me to be able to, to redirect the course of my life, for, my, for the course of my life to be redirected, because it's something God does, something he does by the power of his Spirit. And it can come with joy it can come from raw power. It can come from love. It can be because you experience comfort. There's lots of shapes it comes in, but it comes from God. So what I want to ask you to do is if you recognize, and it's hard to own this, because sometimes there's a little pride in this, but if you recognize that, you, that you're stuck somewhere and you don't want to be stuck there, what we're going to do is, I, I just want to ask you right where you are, just to stand up. And we're going to pray for everybody that's standing. We're going to pray for each other. And it's not because the people that are standing are, you know, the worst people in the world. It's just that you're just saying, I, I recognize something inside me that really 
is I'm stuck in a place in my life, and I want to be free from that. And Jesus will come and help us. And, you know, maybe some of you are, are you're going to get your, your dose by praying for people. Because you're just not ready to, to stand up and own that you're stuck in some way. If you could, just stand up right now. We're going we're gonna to pray. And we're gonna, you're going to pray for each other. Hopefully not everybody stands up, or then I'll be the one praying for all of us. Okay, good. So the folks who are standing right now, everyone who's sitting around them, I'd just like you to go up beside them and just put your hand on their shoulder. Just ask them, can I put my hand on your shoulder? They say yes, put your hand on their shoulder. And then I want to just pray this simple prayer. Say, in the name of Jesus, I bless you with the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. I bless you with the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. And then just wait. And then pray that again. The Spirit is here this morning, and He wants to refresh. He wants to fill. And when we've confessed our sins, He wants to cleanse us. He wants to wash us. So there's still people standing. If, if you don't have someone praying for you, raise your hand. Look around. Just one person per person, if you could. 